You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Hallelujah. All right, sit down. Let's get into God's word. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We'll be doing a teaching series. We started a teaching series last week on that old man speaking specifically to living above or living a life of consecration above sinfulness. All right. And um, last week, my emphasis my emphasis was on identity was on Christian identity how the first step to living above sin is knowing who you are Peter said that any believer who lives you know licentiously just lives in sin he says he has forgotten who he is says he's short-sighted and his own short-sightedness is not that he can't see far forward it's that he can't see far backward he can't see as far back as the cross he has forgotten who he is hallelujah and so before you start your struggle with oh i don't want to lie anymore i want to live above this addiction or these contradictions in my life i think the first step you need to settle or the first thing you need to settle is who am i I'm saved. I'm justified. Hallelujah. I remember I told you how many times Paul would write to a church. And it's ironic because you read read Paul's letters and, and you see Paul say things like, you were once dead in trespasses. He says that at the beginning of the letter. Then in the middle of the letter, you will see him correcting some of those trespasses that he told them that they were once dead, once, not no longer, they're no longer there. They've left it. But he corrects them. And so the first thing we established is in life, being precedes doing. You are who you are, not what you do. Do you understand? A thief is not a thief because he stole, he's a thief first at heart. There are many thieves that have never stolen anything because they've not gotten the opportunity to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, But today, um, if the last if the last teaching was um, acknowledging every good thing, today the title is Grace Lessons, and I'd like us to start from Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. I have a lot to teach, and I really hope the time afforded would be enough. Were you blessed by my hours ministration this morning? my God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Say, for by grace am I saved? Through faith. Say, for by grace I am saved. Through faith. Hallelujah. And it says, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 9. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should work in. 
by grace are you saved. Hallelujah. Now, verse 10 says, We are created unto good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in. And so, whilst your good works cannot save you because it is by grace that you are saved, your salvation must lead you to good works. Are you with me? Good works are not a prerequisite of salvation, but they are a product of salvation. They're not a requirement for salvation, but they are a result of salvation. If you say you are saved, we must have commensurate and corresponding good works to prove it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says, you are saved by grace. Now, what is the definition of grace? When the Bible talks about grace, what is it talking about? It's talking about the benevolence of God. The benevolence of God. But even more so, it speaks to the person of Jesus. Are you with me? So you read John chapter 1 and it says, The world dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. The word full in that, in that phrase is the word plero. It's the Greek word plero. It means that all of grace was resident in him. Do you understand? It is of his grace that we have received. Are you getting this? Of his fullness have we received grace for grace. That's what the Bible says. So all of grace was resident in the person of Jesus. So when we say you are saved by grace, you are saved by Christ. Christ is the representation of God's grace, especially salvific grace. Even other types of grace, because you have salvific grace, that's grace that saves. You also have grace for ministry. But even the grace for ministry is received in Christ. It's an overflow from the person of Christ. I get what I'm saying? Uh So, Jesus is the definition of grace. Now, there is a scripture I, I hear a lot of or let me start like this. In 2016, actually, I, I was exposed. I've been doing ministry since 2009 or 2008. And then I was exposed to different types of doctrines. But around 2013, 2014, I started to question the prosperity gospel, which I used to teach a lot of. And it took me about two, three years before I properly consolidated what I now teach and what what I believe to be the whole counsel of God from scripture. All right. And so um, I remember in 2016, I had a meeting. No, I put up a sermon excerpt. I had preached somewhere and I, I put up an excerpt from where I preached on Facebook. And someone DM'd me and, and he was like, pastor, he was a fellow pastor too. And he said, look, I can't argue with the fact that everything you are teaching is from the Bible. You have scriptures to prove. However, are you not just teaching people to sin? Are you not just giving people license to sin? You see, and I understand where that question will come from. 
In fact, Paul did too. In Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about blessed is the man whose iniquities are not imputed against him, whose righteousness does not come by his own works, whose righteousness is by faith. Paul said that in Romans chapter 4. Do you understand? And he teaches on faith, righteousness by faith, in Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5. And when he's done teaching, he, he anticipates the question. Because anybody that hears you teach that righteousness only comes by faith will ask, uh, does that mean that we can now do anyhow, provided we have faith? So Romans chapter 6, Paul starts by, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. Now, Paul wasn't saying that no, if you have received um, grace, if you've, that you should still work hard to live righteous. What Paul said is, how can we who are dead to sin be alive in it any longer? Notice that Paul's correction to the statement is not a correction of what you do, but who you are. He starts by saying, you are already dead to sin. That's who you are. A dead person to sin. A, dead, a person who is dead to something cannot be alive to it. A dead man doesn't have desires. <laughs> My grandma died last year. It wasn't tragic. She died at 107. So it was about time. <laughs> I remember I remember when I got married. My dad called my wife and I and he said, he said it's in Igbo. He said, You people should start, please, you should plan when we'll go home to see Mama because the woman is doing like she wants to go. When a person had lived to 107 years, you can't go. Come and be going. When, when they were burying her, they said, this one is not burial, it's celebration. So they build us in the village. I said if she died at a young age, that they won't be us. The burial would just be quiet. But we killed two cows because it was celebration. <laughs> but when my grandma died, we went to the morgue and Listen, if you ever want to contemplate the meaning of life, go to a monk. I saw... <laughs> this This will be gross, so viewers' discretion is advised. <laughs> when you get to the morgue, the morticians that stay at the morgue are so used to dead bodies. And if, if it's a very busy morgue, especially in, in areas like Nigeria, they don't have enough storage space to store them. So they just stack the bodies. I'm not joking, like fish. So when we got there, we said, oh, we are here for Rebecca. That's my grandmother's name, Rebecca Ogwe. We want to take her body. They literally started tossing their bodies to the side. Because after a while, the body stiffens. It's, so it was like um, stockfish. <laughs> they literally started tossing the bodies to the side. And they carried my grandma. And they um, dressed her up in this white gown and then we, we had a white casket so they put her inside my grandma didn't get up to say I don't want white gown that my favorite color is yellow so why are you wearing me this because dead people don't have desires so when Paul says how can you who are dead to sin be alive in it any longer. Paul is answering the question of grace being a license to sin. He's saying, no, 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 no. Grace was given to deaden you to sin. So, by receiving the grace of God, the, the desires to sin should be deadened. They, 
Do you get what I'm saying? So even if in the flesh, because now he has finished saying that, so people are confused because they're like, mm, I hear you, but I still feel like sinning sometimes. So he writes Romans 7. The good I don't want to do, I, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of flesh? Then people are now like, okay, so which is it? Are we dead to sin or not? There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Do you understand? So Paul is teaching that even if he, he goes on to say that if you live by the Spirit, you will mortify the deeds of the flesh. Now notice the use of words. So he's saying even if my spirit is alive because of righteousness and my flesh is, is struggling with sin... By my spirit, I can mortify. What is the work of a mortician? The work of a mortician is to make sure that what is dead stays dead. Hallelujah. So, he says it to Titus this way. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. I think it's, it's verse 11. He says it to him this way. Put it up on the screen very quickly, please. Everybody read Titus 2, 11 together once to go. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Verse 12. Read the first word together. So, the grace of God teaches. Amen. Amen. Jesus teaches. When salvation comes to you, there is a lesson that comes with it. A curriculum is registered. <laughs> it teaches us that denying ungodliness. So notice this. He says denying ungodliness. That is, there, there is a tendency because of flesh for ungodliness to reign. But I must deny it. I must keep dead what is dead. Last week I taught you you are dead to sin. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you have flesh. During Christmas, we, most of us kill chickens. Raise your hand if you've ever killed one before. Above, like you yourself, you killed the chicken. Raise your hand. Yeah. I don't know whether it's something to be proud of or not. It is what it is. <laughs> right? Okay, you've seen where they're killing chicken before. Raise your hand. Some of you, you didn't raise your hand. They are judging those, but you, you do chop the chicken. You eat it. How do you think it got there? <laughs> All right. Now, when you kill a chicken, I've killed one before. So. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. When you kill one, what happens to the chicken? Okay, how many of you have seen a dead catfish before? Just the head. You know it can stay alive for a very long time. Yeah. When you kill the chicken, you're advised to hold on to the chicken just after you cut the neck because when you're cutting, sorry, I, this is graphic, I, forgive me. But when you're in the process of doing the deed, the chicken struggles for a while, then it goes limp. Now the amateur will think it is now dead. But what happens is when it goes limp for a while, it gets up again. And in many cases, the headless chicken runs around spraying blood everywhere that's what your flesh is like it's already dead but like a headless chicken is running around so you will hold it down and say you are dead so stay dead so grace teaches 
that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we must live soberly. There is a call to consecration that your receipt of grace gives you. You, you, you can't live anyhow anymore. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. He said, you must live soberly and righteously. So, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you must live righteously. Grace will teach you to live righteously. That's the reason why, if we see a person who is not living righteously, who hasn't denied ungodliness, who is not sober in their conduct, we can ask, are you saved? And we're not judging. If we all went to the same school and somebody comes and claims, you and I are cosmates. Now, you know what you know. Then, you say, okay, my cosmates, we're at the same level, the same class. Have you done XYZ assignment? Or what are your thoughts on XYZ um, subject or topic? And the person is looking blank, like, hmm. And then you're like, are you sure you're my cosmates? Are you sure we're reading the same course? Is that true? Because many times, the proof of salvation is in our common conduct. If you don't act like me, or I don't act like you, somebody is wrong somewhere. This is why in the book of Acts, um, I've heard people debate, should, should we call ourselves Christians? Or if you like, call yourself Christian. If you decide to call yourself believer and sky daddy, whatever you want to call yourself, you are a Christian. And that word, we lose how, like we miss how powerful the word is. That they saw a group of people acting in the same way and said, ah, all these people are Christians. That means they could write it and say characteristics of Christians, number one, they do behave like this. And so if you see someone who claims he's a Christian but is not doing that, you say, ah, you're not a Christian. And it's interesting that it wasn't the Holy Ghost that called them Christians. It was unbelievers that called them Christians. People who looked and observed their behavior. The the Bible says that um, they, they saw the apostles and observed that they had been with Christ. Grace must teach you to act. Do you hear what I'm saying? (laughs) You're not just saved. So you can just say, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but that's it. Just live anyhow. Hallelujah. It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we must live soberly. I I don't want you to just think of soberly as in um, away from alcohol and not. mm -mm. There must be this balance to your lifestyle. You can't can't be overly materialistic. Money, 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 money all the time. Do you know that money is a worse drug than alcohol or even many of the hard drugs that people take? Money it destroys more people's lives. 
We must live soberly in this world, righteously and godly in this present world. But that's not where grace, that's not the only thing grace teaches you. Next verse. He says, we must also look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Christ Jesus. Listen. I went to boarding school for secondary school. Raise your hand if you did. Be proud of yourself. Something to be proud of. Raise your hand if you didn't go to boarding school. You have our condolences. I'm just joking. But I went to boarding school, right? And there was this thing that always happened. Okay, okay, but if you've traveled, maybe for a vacation before, a trip you were looking forward to. Um, when I said for vacation, some of you immediately start thinking outside the country. So for those of us that have not gone before, you went to your village. But you were looking forward to the trip for Christmas. I mean, and, and there's something that happens. As the day draws closer, you subconsciously start living every day in light of that day. Is that correct? For those of us that went to boarding school, there's something that happens to you. The week to resumption, you just, anything that happens, I'll soon go to school. Anything that happens, I'm going to school soon. The morning that you are supposed to go to school, you won't wash plate at home. Some of you are pretending like you know this. You will not wash, you will leave the plates for them. I'm going to school, do your worst. <laughs> there is a way you must live your life in, in view of eternity that is coming. If you listen, there is a way we will look at your life and we will know that this person truly anticipates the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain things that would mark your life if you live in view of eternity. Listen, I've said this before. A person who loves money, you, you can tell they don't know that they will die one day. Because if you live realizing that one day I will, I will leave all these things behind. and I, you, you can't be holding on to material things. It, it's the parable of the rich fool. The guy got up, my soul, merry, rejoice. Listen, we call him the rich fool, but many of our lives are patterned the same way. What does that say about us? Think about it. You hammered today. Some money entered your account. You got a better salary. What is going to be your predisposition? Number one, you will first of all rejoice. You will wash it. Amen. You will flex small. At least levels have changed. Number two, you set up a saving structure. Because Sakpa is a respecter of, is not a respecter of persons. So you set up a savings structure. In fact, an investment plan too. So that not only am I saving, the money is growing. Is that correct? There's nothing wrong in that. But that's exactly what the rich fool did. He made bigger harvest. He said, I will tear down my barns. I will build bigger barns. Then I will rejoice because I've done so much. And the Bible says, and the Lord said, you fool. You know, if the Lord calls you a fool, you must really be a fool. The Lord said, you fool. He says, tonight your soul will be required of thee. Whose shall these things be? The problem was not in the savings. The problem was not in the rejoicing. The problem was that the money had him. The goodness had him. Do you understand? He, he, there was no plan. The Bible says because he was not rich unto God. There was no plan in his wealth for eternity. No plan. Which is why many of us fall by the way. 
grace teaches you that you must look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how much the early church embodied this? There was a way they greeted one another. It was Maranatha. Maranatha means come, Lord, come. Many of us don't live life realizing that Jesus is coming again. And, and listen, I know some people would say, um, they've been telling us Jesus is coming soon for the longest. Yes, he's coming soon. I don't know when he's coming, but he's going to come soon. And even if you die <laughs> before he comes, you will die and then open your eyes and he's right in front of you. So it's too soon. It's too soon. Some of us live life as if somebody promised us tomorrow. I don't worry, do as you please. You have five years. After five years, I don't know what will happen, but this next five years, it's 2028, flex. We live life as though someone promised us tomorrow. You are not promised tomorrow. Make every day count. Let grace teach you this. You are not from I'm not promised tomorrow. That's the truth. The beauty of humanity is in the uncertainty of our destination. It's what, make, it's what makes life beautiful. <laughs> Listen, if someone told you, do you know, I, I see all those questions where they ask you eat this or that, and one of the options is, do you want to know when you will die? I don't. I don't. I don't want to know when I will die. I'll start making reckless decisions. No, sorry, I'll start making too careful decisions. I'll be too careful what I'm saying, okay, I'm going to die tomorrow. Ah, can I do this? Can I? No. The reason why you enjoy life so much is because of the uncertainty of your end. So, now that you know that there is no certainty to when you will go, why don't you make every day count? And listen, I've told you this before. It is good to have the ambitions um, to, to better people's lives. In fact, you must do you must. You must serve humanity. You can't just be serving in church and be carrying God on your head. You must serve humanity too. But you must realize that nothing you do for humanity in this world will last. If you feed a man out there, by tomorrow afternoon he'll be hungry again. Do you know? If, if he has um, familiar spirits in stomach that are eating the food with him, by this afternoon he'll be hungry again. You take a woman, you empower her, give her a job, give her everything. Women helping women, you must. Women helping women, guess what? She will die one day. Maybe not now, maybe in a hundred years, but she will still die. And maybe you think a hundred years is a long time, but think of eternity. Hundred years does not even mark, it does not mark the radar. It's not, it, won't, it won't show up on the radar of eternity. So, you would have done nothing for that woman if you didn't give her Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? So, am I saying don't live to make an impact? No, you must do. I'm saying in all you're getting, add this one. There's a lesson grace must teach you. Denying worldly lusts, we must live soberly 
and righteous in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. And listen. <laughs> I see. I, I know we say it jokingly, but I hope we don't mean it. Say, Jesus can come today. Say, let him not come home. I have not married yet. It's a funny joke. You can joke the joke. But let it stop at joke. Don't let it be that you prefer marriage over the second coming of our Lord Jesus. And I know that you are saying that you are talking like this because you, you don't marry. Maybe. Maybe. But don't let it be that you prefer the momentary satisfaction of being married to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people say, he cannot come yet. I have not had sex. (laughs) Jesus Christ. We must leave sin. What the grace of God in Romans, Paul puts it like this, that people forget that the goodness of God was designed to lead to repentance. When we receive God's goodness, we don't just receive it and celebrate that we've received it. We must do those two. But we must allow the lessons that God's goodness was designed to teach us to play out in our lives. Else we have not received the goodness of God. Praise the Lord. So when you receive the grace of God, before you became a Christian, you, 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 you were okay scamming people, cheating people. You said, now streets, in this street, you guys, why is all? Then God's goodness, God's grace came to you. And the first thing it will do, because God is working in you both to will and to do, is that correct? Which means he's working in you to condition your desires and give you the power to, or the ability to fulfill those desires that he has put inside of you. So the next time you wanted to scam somebody, you started feeling guilty. Say, ah, me, hard guy. No. You must allow grace to do his work. Because that feeling is Jesus teaching you, you shouldn't do this. Let me tell you something as a Christian. Listen to the voice of your conscience. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't get used to silencing your conscience with statements like, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to the voice of your conscience. It's important. Paul says, I tell the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience bears me witness. Learn to listen to the voice of your conscience. You did something wrong. Your conscience is, is taking a beating for it. Allow it. Cry the cry. Feel guilty. It's good. You won't do it again. Because hardness of heart does not happen once. Hardness of heart is a result of continuous negligence to sin. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? So, let me tell you. There are things that you did, not you. Maybe. There are things that you did when you were just a Christian. And the time you first did it, your heart pricked you. It took you, why would I do something like this? I'm better than this. You have sinned against God. God is not happy with this. Then you, after that, maybe it's time to pray. Your heart is feeling guilty. Now, I get it. You drag that guilty heart before God. Alright? But what you don't do is shout above it. Because if you successfully quieten the guilt without dealing with it before God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you successfully quieten it without dealing with it before God, the next time you will do it again and the guilt will reduce. And it will keep reducing. And one day you will do it and... Is what happens when you hear that this Christian did XYZ, XYZ. And then you're like, how could he have done that? He, he, he didn't just start it that day. You understand? He hardened his heart. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, today if you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your heart. Let grace teach you. And there are two ways that grace will teach you. The first is through the word. In Psalm 119 verse 11, can you put it up on the screen please? Psalm 119 verse 11. Everybody look. Can you put it up in the KJV so that I like this. We'll come back to this but let's read it in the KJV so it's, it's the traditional way we know it. Everybody look to the screen and read together once ago. It says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. How did he hide the word in his heart? Now put it up in the HCSB so you will understand. I have treasured your word in my heart. When it comes to loving the things of God, let me give you the most important principle. You fake it till you make it. What do I mean? I don't feel like reading God's word. I don't feel like reading God's word. I don't know how these people do it. Me, I don't like reading my Bible. No. You start saying, I love God's word. Ah, I love it. I love, I love listening to messages. So now you want to put up a message. You are telling yourself, I love God's word. In your heart, you know that, oh man, I'm going to struggle through this message. But I love God's word. The more you say it, the more your heart will align. It says, your word have I treasured in my heart. It's important to develop an affinity for these things. I remember... When I was in secondary school, I, I remember having chemistry class, SS1. First class, Mrs. Badru. That was my chemistry teacher's name. She stepped into the class and she started teaching Charles Law, Boyle's Law. She was in P1, V1 over T1 equals to P2, V2 over T2. And then for, the, for Boyle's Law, P1, V1 is equals to P2, V2. Um, pressure law, P1 over T1. I'm like, what, what are you saying? Now, I know all these laws because, well, I read chemical engineering and then what I did after. And I remember first class, I was lost. 
second class, I was more lost. I was just lost till uh, CA test. as like midterm test, right? So they gave us questions. <laughs> Have they served you question paper and you just start laughing? <laughs> you just you just look at the questions like this. <laughs> just like ah, I faked. <laughs> You are laughing because you can already see. <laughs> I went back to the hostel that night and I said, because now th- this is why it was scary for me because in my school, we had commercial class, we had art class, then we had science class, then we had technical drawing class. So technical drawing class was set up for people that wanted to do engineering. Are you hearing? Now, you don't have, you know how you had to choose between, the, no, I didn't have that option. So, if you are in technical drawing class, you will do chemistry, you will do physics, you will do maths, you will do phys- um, further maths, biology, geography. You, you don't have choice. There is no choice. Just uh, we'll do TD. You must do it. Now, the school, in the, when, when you do your junior work, the school will now save everybody to where they think you should be. So they put me in science class. But I said, what do you mean by that? Do you know who I am? I'm going to TD class. So I used my two legs to go and petition that I did not want options. I want to be in TD class. So when they served me chemistry tests, I said, my God, what have I done to myself? I remember that night I took that book that the devil wrote Ababio <laughs> and I sat down with it and I memorized all the laws till now I know them I memorized all the laws every one of them I, 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 was, I was pacing the corridor reading and mem- I didn't like it I memorized it so much next class as the woman was talking I was firing she asked questions you would think I know book I don't know <laughs> but slowly but surely I started developing an interest for chemistry listen it's the same way things of God works nobody likes prayer Pastor Elvisa you know they had you sometimes ah, nobody likes prayer let me tell you I love Apostle Edu Udechukum He's a praying machine. But if you ask him, in fact, he will say that you have to pray till it's no more you that prays, the Holy Ghost. Because by myself, I'm tired. <laughs> Nobody likes prayer. Nobody likes to pray. Nobody, like, I love prayer when it's 10 minutes. You know those 10 minutes quick? If you finish your energy, I say, yes, let's go. Then the Lord will not call you to four hours. <laughs> you say, why, Lord? <laughs> That's when you start teaching God doctrine that it's not about how long, it's how well. <laughs> God does not say, me that I called you to pray. I'm like, <laughs> I remember when <laughs> the first time I saw a man of God teach 10 hours straight, when I saw the message, that message was sitting on my laptop for like three months. 
we find, I finally listen. Because I'm just looking at it. That's so for 10 hours, I will just sit down and be listening to. And it's not like Liberty Bible course where you ask questions. No, for 10 hours, he was teaching like this. You plus. <laughs> I was looking at the message. You risk me to tell me, listen to it. I'll say, wait first. I know that you live outside of time, so 10 hours means nothing to you. But me, I live in time. It's a long time. <laughs> when I prayed, first time I prayed one hour, I was, I was a young man. I, was, I think I was like 17 or 16 years at the time. I went to, um, you know those deliverance churches? How many of you have been to raise your hand? It's a, it's a privilege to shape you. <laughs> because the way, you know how we have Holy Ghost meetings here? The drummer is drumming. No. That sound that the drummer, you do it with your hands. And the, the deliverance starts by 12 o'clock. And it runs till like 5 a.m. So for those five hours, you are standing, you are clapping, you are singing, you are shaking. <laughs> So, I had just come back from secondary school. I had given my life to Christ. There was some fervor in my life. Just so you know that I was not an unserious Christian. And then they used to call me young pastor then. Because I had some fervor, to be honest. So, he said, we're going to pray. Split into groups. And I said, young pastor, you will lead this group. I said, how long are we praying, sir? He says, for one hour. Sir? Uh, <laughs> that's how you appreciate the gift of tongues <laughs> nobody listen spiritual things will require exercise you teach yourself to love them says your word have I treasured in my heart you make God's word your treasure Soon enough, you will grow. When I entered the university, there was this man of God. His name was Ezekiel Brown. He was a praying spirit. So I remember he organized a meeting at the back of the chapel at the time. And he said it was a prayer meeting. Now, I liked prayer meetings because at that time I had prayed one hour. So it was now a culture. I was like, okay. We'll go and pray one hour, at least at most two hours will be fine. The meeting was started by 6 a.m. That should have been my cue. But as you know, woke up really early, had my bath, went there. When I got there, he gave a charge for like 30 minutes and then told us to start praying. So we're praying, 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 praying. So when we reached the one hour mark, I'm like, surely by now, God has heard us. And we should all start heading home. So tell me why Ezekiel Brown removed his shirt and hung there. <laughs> he removed his shirt and put it somewhere and said, We have not started. I said, We have not started. We prayed six hours, six, <laughs> six straight hours. And, and we ended the prayer meeting because we needed to end it. I think the school had a function. So he needed to release us to go and prepare for school function. 
those trainings made me who I am today. Listen. I'll teach this next week. I'm teaching setting your affections next week. I'll teach this more next week. But listen. Don't run away from spiritual exercise. Don't. Don't run away from spiritual exercise. Any opportunity you see to grow, grab it. In this church, we organize many meetings that we don't need to organize. If you are looking at it from a financial standpoint, we don't need to. Liberty Bible course. We don't. If I didn't do 10 hours of Bible study, many of you wouldn't know that you need 10 hours of Bible study. You'd just be content with the teaching that we're doing every Sunday morning. One of the reasons why we go out of our way to set up meetings like that is to give you the opportunity to experience things like that so that you will be exposed to the to an avenue that will help you culture and it will help you train your love for the things of God. At campfire, at every campfire, I, I can't remember the last time we had a camp meeting and finished what I was going to teach. But yet, regardless, we set aside stretch prayer time every morning and the reason we do it is so that you'll be exposed to things like that so you develop a praying culture hallelujah but David said I have treasured your word in my heart this is this is why you don't you don't come for service and you are excited by every other thing in the service Except the word of God. You are setting yourself up for problems. Because, listen. The word of God is the first way grace will teach you to live above sin. If you don't have, let me tell you. There are many people that have strong prayer lives and are still battling with contradictions. And what is missing is is the word, is the word. Check it. They don't really have the right diet. The word is what is missing. Because prayer needs substance to work on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Prayer needs substance to work on. A person who prays long, but has never been told that they can dispense power, all they will have is long prayers. But the day they learn that there is power in me and I can dispense this thing. Watch them pray. It, the prayer will work on the words they've learned and it will bring those words to fruition. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 from verse 15 says, And that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. He says, for all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, verse 16, and is profitable for, number one, doctrine. The Greek word for doctrine, didaskalia, means systematic teaching. It's profitable for systematic teaching. But what, what else is scripture profitable for? Number two, reproof, Greek word, elenchos. It means to give evidence for something. Do you understand? To give proof. Scriptures give proof. How do you know 
You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible said so. Do you hear me? Don't let the devil talk you into seeking proof from elsewhere. If the Bible has said it, I'm okay with it. All those extra thoughts. Well, the person that wrote it probably did not understand the conditions that we are currently in. Did the Bible say it? I'm okay with it. Because it's profitable for reproof. Praise the Lord. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says so. Your heart is telling you otherwise. Whose reports will you believe? I'll I'll believe the report of the Lord. It's profitable for reproof. Number three, for correction. So I may have an opinion on a matter and it's going this way. But the Bible said that this is where it is. So scripture should correct me. And finally, instruction in righteousness. If you look at Paul's epistles, you will find these things. You'll find these four things. You will find doctrine. Not just Paul's epistles, Peter's, John's. You will find these things. You'll find doctrine. You will find reproof, evidence for the doctrine. You will find correction. Because I've told you something and it must correct the way you used to think. But finally, you will find instruction in righteousness. Paul would typically write his stories or his letters starting from your legal realities in Christ and ending your vital realities. He will start from you were once dead in sin and in your trespasses, but he will end with stand firm. Do you understand? He will start with, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but he will end in admonitions about righteousness. You who stole, steal no more. Instruction in righteousness. When you are coming to scripture, these are the four things you are looking for. Not new rema. The search for new rema has created a problem. I heard yesterday, Pastor David and I, Pastor David was in my house yesterday. And we're listening to some man of God. I genuinely believe God called the man. I just think he's very lost. <laughs> we're listening to some man of God. And I was saying that, do you know which one? Jesus is powerless. And you know when you say something like that, the church will say, ah. I say, yes. I got you right. Rema, you didn't see it coming. Say, eh, because the Bible says that Jesus on his own. He said, Jesus on his own. Is powerless because Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God. So the power is not in Jesus, it is in the gospel of Jesus. Now, now it sounds weird, right? People were clapping in the church, and it was a very big church. It sounds weird to you because you've been taught to descend. Because a simple question of how then Jesus healed the sick when he was on the earth would have answered the question. He raised the dead. How did he do it? Did he preach the gospel to the dead? Hey, Lazarus, do you know that I'm the son of God? If you believe in me after I die, you'll be saved. Do you believe? Lazarus, in his dead state, will now say, I believe. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you today. I say, that's all right. Stand up. 
So we don't, we don't go to scripture to look for new things. If you find something new and true in pursuit of these four things, hold on to it. Amen? But we're not going to scripture to look for how to unsay or how to say things that nobody has heard before. Let me tell you something. Some of you are visiting this church um, um, for the first time or you're just passing by. Maybe you visit every now and again. If you are listening to a man of God and the man of God says, this thing I want to teach you, nobody in the body of Christ has taught it before. What is about to teach you is a lie. <laughs> if Jesus didn't teach it, Paul did not teach it, Peter did not teach it, Jude did not teach it, John didn't teach it, James didn't teach it. Okay, Timothy, eventually, when he started his own ministry, he didn't teach it. Then you now move down. Calvin didn't teach it. Um, Spurgeon didn't teach it. All those people did teach. We reach our time. Papa Hagen didn't teach it. Kenyon did. <laughs> why do you think you are special? <laughs> Don't you realize that there's a reason why all of them didn't teach it? Say <laughs> so what I'm about to teach you. The Holy Ghost gave me directly there is no exclusivity of doctrine. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? It does not exist. There is, when, when Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to, to 14. Ephesians 4. Quickly, please. To some he gave apostles, to some he gave prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, verse 12, for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, verse 13, till we all come to the unity, amen? amen. And in case you don't understand what the unity of the faith is, he says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We must have unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. Do you understand? The reason why we have so many divisions in the body of Christ today is because there's this mindset that I can get my own interpretation of scriptures for me. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. That we no longer being babes. Tossed to and fro by every. Verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children. Tossed to and fro. And carried about with every wind of doctrine. Listen. He says it is children that are carried about with every wind of doctrine. Children. So we're not looking for new doctrine or new rema. Some people say the doctrine of grace is new. It's not new. It's what Paul taught. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Listen, one way you can judge um, doctrine is if I've never heard a, a message before and I'm given this verse of scripture to read in isolation, like I lock myself away and I'm given this chapter of the Bible to read. Will I come to this conclusion that this man came to? Because you are intelligent, you learned how to read and write. 
And Paul, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, but the reason why he wrote the things that he wrote was so that when you read them, you would have the under, his understanding of the gospel. So Paul didn't intend for you to read the Bible specially. That by just reading the Bible, by reading his writings, you understand what he was trying to say. You see, you see, Jesus was powerless. What do you do about <laughs> Oh Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we go to scripture for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. Scriptures must instruct you in righteousness. If all you have is Rema, you're shouting glory, 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 and there's no instruction in righteousness, you are there's is defaulting. You who stole, steal no more. Amen. Amen. Let's not be Christians who talk a big game, but our lifestyles are contradictory. Number two, the Holy Ghost. Grace teaches you through the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. He who has the Son has eternal life. I have the Son. I have eternal life. Say, he who has the Son, Kai, has eternal life. I have the Son, I have the Son, I have eternal life. I have. One more time. Say, he who has the Son, he who has has eternal life I have the son I have Jesus from verse 9 it says wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus verse 10 Every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things on earth and of things under the earth, verse 11. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have also always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, he says, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is a salvation inside of you. Work it out. Your spirits is saved, is reconditioned. Your soul needs the influence of your spirit. So live from the spirit outward. Walk out your salvation. And how do you do it? With fear and trembling. Is it does it does it refer to fear as being afraid? No, with care. Do you understand? I will live in this world soberly with care. Not recklessly. But he doesn't stop the instruction there. He says, For it is God, verse 13, which walketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
So there is a salvation inside of me. I must work it out. But how am I going to work it out? God is working in me to will and to do. So I must partner with the Spirit to allow the work of the Spirit show in my life. Do you hear me? Stop negotiating with the Holy Ghost. Forgive him. Say, Holy Ghost, how about I forgive him later? Right now, just allow me to be angry. My anger is valid. The validity of your anger or the validity of your excuse for sin will not take away the fact that the Holy Ghost is trying to get you out of that sin. Verse 14. Then he goes on. So, so this is Paul's typical way of writing. Notice the three verses of scripture. As you have done in my presence, do in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that is working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Therefore, do all things without murmurings and disputings. I can, work, I can do this because God is working in me to will and to do. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I must partner with the Holy Ghost to see the result of my salvation. Those little nudgings of the Spirit. Pray now. Go and pray. Do you hear what I'm saying? It doesn't matter where I am. Of course, I have my own normal prayer times. My prayer life. It doesn't matter where I am. If I'm, I can be walking on the road and the Holy Ghost will just prompt me to pray. Just start speaking in tongues. Some of you have observed it. We'll be playing games. I'll start speaking in tongues. We'll be walking, I'll just pray out in tongues. That's how to partner with the Holy Ghost. Stop negotiating. Say, Holy Ghost, how about, I know that prayer is important, but there's something I've also learned. Where we pray is not really the matter. So what if I don't pray now? Since you, you don't exist in time, if I pray in 10 minutes time, it will still be like now before you. How about that? Praise the Lord. There's a guy. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. You open his WhatsApp status or you open his Instagram. You saw that his ways are not pure. The Holy Ghost has been warning you since. When you saw it, the Holy Ghost warned you again, child of God. Stay away from this boy. But he's so fine. So you start negotiating. Can't I change him? The Holy Ghost has meant to change him. Said you should stay away from him. You want to go and or you're going to do the work now. I lost paracletos. <laughs> you must partner with the Holy Ghost to work out your salvation. Notice you're not working for your salvation. That scripture doesn't mean work for your salvation. It means there's a salvation inside of you. We want to see it. We want to see it. Stop acting like you're not saved. We want to see it. Don't make me question your salvation. I open your Twitter profile. I'm not sure you're a Christian. It says Philippians 4.19 on your bio. But your, your DP is something else. I go through your, your conversation. Something else. Your likes. Do you know I had to unfollow many people. Because I, I genuinely love God's body. So my normal self is you're a Christian like me. I'll follow you. We have a conversation. You sound like you have sense. I'll follow you. Then I start seeing strange things on my tear. Liked by your name. I will unfollow you very quickly. 
be a Christian, behave yourself. There's a way we need to learn how to talk. We must live soberly in this world. Somebody said something to you online. You are triggered already. Don't you have the Holy Ghost? Holy Ghost, though they calm you down, say, my guy, calm down, don't respond. Ah! From the way many people respond, I know many people don't listen to the Holy Ghost. Because if you listened, you won't just open, you won't just start typing. I must give you a piece of my mind. You will soon lose all of your mind. How many people do you want to give a piece of your mind to? <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you are a Christian, allow the Holy Ghost help us to see that you are a Christian. How? Galatians chapter 5. The fruit, let's start from verse 16. It says the flesh was against the spirit and the spirit, Galatians 5, 16, against the flesh. Each one warring against one another. Um, go back. Okay, no, this is it. Then I say, this I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Verse 17. Come on, verse 17. We are in verse 6 now. Immediately, what's happening? <laughs> Open your Bibles, Galatians chapter 6. Aha! For the flesh lusted against the spirit. Go back to verse 17. And the spirit against the flesh, each one warring against the other, so that you do not do, or and these are contrary to one, um, one to the other, that you cannot do the things that you would. Verse 18. He says, but if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Notice here, when he says led of the Spirit, he's not talking about the Holy Ghost telling you go left, go right, uh, buy this stock today. And we have emphasized the leading of God's Spirit in all those areas. How God leads you where to go and what to do. And it's important for the Christian, but guess what? There is another deeper dimension to the leading of God's spirit that is the spirit of God leading you in your battle against the flesh if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law verse 19 he said for the works of the flesh are evident he says which are these adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness verse 20 idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emanations wrath strife seditions heresies verse 21 envyings, murders, drunkenness revelings and such like of the which I tell you before as I have told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, long suffering gentleness, goodness um, faith so how is the spirit leading you in your battle against the flesh love, joy, peace, long suffering are you getting it? This is also the leading of the Spirit. In fact, more times in the New Testament, when the teaching on the leading of the Spirit is done, it's about moral leadings. In Romans chapter 8, when the Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, read the verses preceding, Romans 8, 11. Romans 8, 11. Media team, you need to work with me, please. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. What's happening today, you guys? People are never asking in front of Pastor Elvis. 
Alright. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit. Verse 12. Therefore, everybody read together once we go. Verse 13. Mm-hmm. But through the Spirit, do mortify. Now, verse 14. For as many. What is the leading of the Spirit in verse 14? If you through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the flesh. Are you following? So, it is true that the Holy Ghost can lead you. This is your wife. This is your husband. Uh, make this decision. But if that is all he's leading you in, you have not really discovered his true leading. Because his first leading in your life is to mortify the deeds of the flesh. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God's children, God's sons will be led by His Spirit. We are led by His Spirit. So we let Him. We let him. I can't help myself. That's not who you are. I don't know why every time this just starts, I can't help myself. That's not who you are. I'm led by the Spirit of God. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? I'm led by the Spirit of God. This is how grace teaches you to deny ungodliness. Pray in the language of the Spirit, everyone. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.